This is the third of six podcasts from the Royal Irish Academy History of Emotion series. The speaker is Dr. Ilan Wall on anger. The philosopher Jean-Luc Nancy once said that anger is the most political emotion. He said, it brings out the qualities of the inadmissible, the intolerable. It is a refusal and a resistance that with one step goes beyond all that can be accomplished reasonably. Without anger, politics is accommodation and trade in influence. What Nancy points to is the manner in which anger takes people out of the patterns and habits of their situation. Some aspect of a person's everyday reality becomes intolerable and anger opens the possibility of things being different. It does this by finding a target, an enemy or antagonist. Anger is directed at another, but it also seeks out friends. It searches for similarly angered bodies that might share that sentiment together anger pulls us out of ourselves. It drives us into the world. An energy wells up inside the body, but it seeks a channel to escape outwards. It flows out from the body, and in so doing, it enmeshes it in a tangle of relations with other bodies. My name is Ilan Rua Wall. I'm a reader at the Warwick Law School, where I focus on atmospheres and emotions of protest. For this podcast, the RIA have asked me to focus on anger and its role in moments of social unrest. In Ireland's recent history, there are many moments of protest and disorder, but let's look at just one. The anti-water charges movement was in full voice when Taunashta Joan Burton accepted an invite to a graduation ceremony at Uncusson in Jobstown in November 2014. Jobstown had been particularly battered by the austerity agenda and was a focal point for the anti-water charges movement that emerged following the EU IMF bailout. Intense problems of overcrowding, unemployment and deprivation made the residents of Jobstown particularly vulnerable to the types of social and economic agenda that Enda Kenny's government had pursued. So when it became apparent that Burton would be coming to Jobstown, there was a certain anger. Word spread beforehand, and on the day a small group gathered initially to express their anger to the Taunashta. Burton was on their turf, one resident explained, and it was important to show how unhappy they were with the policies of the government. Collective outpourings of anger can be difficult to predict. Sometimes they come as a sharp shock, an electric jolt running through the social body. Sometimes they build up slowly, with many small moments of insult and injury aggregating over time. A sort of reservoir of collective wrongs done to a populace or a portion of the population. Whatever the context, there's usually a spark that causes a collective outpouring of anger. Some incident, sometimes genuinely horrible, but sometimes apparently minor. This crystallises everything. It draws out the anger woven deep in the social fabric and allows those reservoirs of social wrong to be connected to the present moment. The ceremony in Jobstown was split between Uncosson's building and St Thomas's church. When Burton left Uncosson, she was surrounded by a small group of protesters who shouted angrily at her, at one stage hitting her with a water balloon. There was a good deal of aggression on show on her walk, but nonetheless she made her way to the church for the rest of the ceremony. When Burton and her advisers left the ceremony, a slightly larger crowd gathered around her car, chanting and banging on the roof. As the crowd grew, a sit-down protest ensued which trapped the Taunashta's car on site. The Garda presence increased with regular reinforcements, creating a perimeter around the car, and then with the deployment of the public order unit and the Garda helicopter. The standoff ended three hours later as Burton switched cars and left Jobstown. The events of the day are controversial, and I have no interest in relitigating the rights and wrongs of what occurred. However, 
They are incredibly useful in helping us unravel the political nature of the anger around the country during this period of comparative social unrest. In particular, the Jobstown protest can help us explore the ways in which atmospheres affect people, making a major political event out of a comparatively minor skirmish. We can begin by asking about atmospheres in general. Initially, they seem so obvious. We're so familiar with them in our lived experience. An electrifying gig, a cosy winter's evening before a crackling fire. That quiet tension of shared grief at a funeral. When they're at their most intense, atmospheres can almost be palpable. But once we focus on them analytically, they seem to evaporate. This is because they sit between our subjective emotional states and the hard materiality of the built environment. Think for a moment of the quiet hush of a cathedral. The building captures the enormous space above you, dwarfing the human form. It uses that captured space, that feeling of height, as a weight to press down upon you, to calm and hush your behaviour. This is an architecture designed to generate atmosphere and an atmosphere designed to change your behaviour. But this atmosphere is also dependent on the people within it. When the band Pussy Riot played their brief and illicit gig in Moscow's Cathedral of Christ the Saviour, their jangling punk disrupted the tone of that space. The cathedral was perturbed and confused, the sacred ambience was disturbed. And so it's not as simple as the space creating the feeling. You have to take part in the atmosphere. And when you do, you intensify the force it has on others. Atmospheres are produced in the interaction of the built environment and those within it. Atmospheres tend to sit on the threshold of our consciousness. They operate on our bodies, shaping our likely behaviour. We will probably dance in the hot, dark fog of a nightclub. We probably won't dance in the all-too-bright light of a social welfare office. We probably will chant in unison with a crowd in a stadium, but probably not in the empty space of an art gallery. We come to these spaces with expectations and habits, understandings of the function of the building and the event that will take place there. But once we're there, the atmosphere impinges on our body. As the 17th century philosopher Baruch Spinoza would say, they shape our capacity to act. Coming back to Jobstown, Esther Dillon, who was a resident and was involved in the events of the day, commented that at the outset of the sit-down protest, there was a great atmosphere, a great buzz, she said. Crowds tend to produce intense atmospheres like this. There is something about bodies milling about in very close proximity that intensifies an atmosphere. Crucially, unlike those atmospheres produced in particular spaces like a church or a pub, spontaneous crowded atmospheres can be extraordinarily dynamic. The mood of a crowd can turn based on interactions with other crowds or with the Gordie. This is not to say that crowds are irrational, but just that their sentiment is changeable, and this will affect the behaviour of those within it. We can see Dylan's observation of the positive atmosphere playing out in the videos. Gone is the intense anger when the crowd surrounded Burton on her walk from Uncoscon to St Thomas's Church, or when Burton got into her car initially. Instead, in the sit-down protest, there's a sort of bubbling giddiness. There's a sense that the crowd can't quite believe what they have managed. They have the Thonishta there in Jobstown, delayed, postponed. Dylan explained that this atmosphere began to shift, however, when the Gardaí tried to pull people out of the sit-down protest. Contemporary social psychology emphasises the importance of feelings of victimisation for a crowd. The perception that the police are using undue force or preventing a crowd from doing something they perceive to be legitimate is very important. It has a significant effect on the crowd's atmosphere. In Jobstown, the attempt by the guards to drag people away began to escalate the tensions once more. 
The atmosphere shifts in thousands of tiny ways and the people's demeanour and attitudes shifts with it. This affects both the Gardaí and the protesters and indeed the experience of the Tónishtam. At the same time that this crowded atmosphere is taking shape outside, it's also important to understand that something different might be occurring within the ministerial car itself. We might think of the car as a sort of bubble. The glass and alloy is a thin shell that amplifies the bumps and knocks from the crowd outside. At the same time, the linguistic cues which help us make sense of the crowd as a rational formation are muffled. Those in the car sit inside a tin drum, rattled around in anxious worry. It's not at all unreasonable to think that it might simultaneously be true both that the atmosphere outside the car during the sit-down protest was hostile but essentially unthreatening, and at the same time that inside the car things might have seemed otherwise. Inside the bubble, perhaps everything feels different. The Jobstown protest shows us the way that a visit of a politician might crystallise the deep-seated anger of a population and push them on the streets to express that emotion together. It shows us how that emotion is shared through the atmosphere, affecting the people there. But it also underlines how atmospheres are in a state of flux, shifting from one moment to the next. It's important to see the events not as a series of snapshots, but as a dynamic situation where the crowd, the police and the presence of this politician interact in a complex and unpredictable way. There is never a single atmosphere that hangs over a protest. When the media comment on a festive or dark atmosphere, or when people talk about menace or mob violence, they level down the situation. The complexity is gone and all that's left is a caricature. If we're trying to be analytic about emotion, affect and atmosphere, then we must try and understand how they impact on the way the scene unfolds. And this means that we must try to understand the social and cultural context from which the emotions emerge and the conditions under which they transform. I suggest we must also see that the political meaning of the events is a separate question. The intensity of these scenes in Jobstown drew the attention of the population at large. This was a moment when the powerless suddenly appeared to confront the powerful in an extraordinarily dramatic way. The scenes seemed to hold a great significance for the polity as a whole. But exactly what significance it held was not pre-given. People had to fight in the media and beyond for that meaning, trying to convince the populace of one reading of them or another. Was this a powerful message from the dispossessed of Ireland's boom time, or a mob bent on gender violence? Was this proof that the water charges movement was anti-democratic, or evidence of a grassroots democratic resistance to austerity and privatisation? We can see the legal proceedings that followed in this light too. They were not just a simple criminal prosecution, but also a form of history trial, where the court was implicitly asked to establish the historical record and the criminal nature of the participants. These are important political questions, but they are for afterwards, fought out in the newspapers, on the TV and radio, discussed in pubs and sitting rooms and the various political meetings up and down the country as the anti-water charges movement fought against the government. But all of this brings us back to Jean-Luc Nancy's observation about anger. He said, anger is the political sentiment par excellence. In Jobstown, anger certainly brought people to the streets. But the events of the day also showed that protest cannot be characterised by any one emotion. There was fear and giddiness and a buzz. There was menace and solidarity and relief and at times even joy. These too are political emotions. So we might think of anger as a sort of opening. It draws people together. It forges an intense bond. But it burns bright and fast. Without other bonds, it will soon fizzle out. Rarely is anger an attractive emotion, but as Jean-Luc Nancy says, 
It is the sentiment that demonstrates that the situation has become intolerable. Thank you.